Hi, welcome back to Senior Living Simplified. I am your host, Christina Hodak. We have a few podcasts now under our belt, so most of you probably know my backstory, so I'll just give a brief synopsis. I started in the senior living industry as a geriatric nurse and held a few different roles, uh, including a specialty in wound care, and then went to the administrative side of things. Ultimately, I saw lots of changes that could be done in senior living, so I went over to the administrative role and served as executive director. I still do that now. I serve as executive director of Sage Oak Assisted Living and Memory Care of Denton, Texas. But that's not what the podcast is about today. Today we are talking about a topic that has come up in lots of conversations that I've had with families over the years, and it does relate to hospice care. You may remember a previous podcast that we've done uh, that was a general hospice conversation and just what is hospice, who qualifies for it, why do you need it, what are the benefits. So this podcast is going to do a deep dive into a particular category of hospice and that would be crisis care. So I have invited an expert in the industry to visit with me today and help us answer some of these questions that are always posed to us. She is with Concho Hearts Hospice. Her name is Desiree Lawing, and she serves as the executive director there, and she is also a nurse. So help me welcome Miss Desiree. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's such a pleasure. You're welcome. I'm glad you're here with us today. So you've been in nursing for quite um, a while. Over 15 years, closer to 17. Um, I've been doing nursing. I started in, you know, I did my six months of the med surge and then I was pulled to hospice and home health and I've been doing that for the last 15 years. So that's primarily been your total focus yes. aside from that six month stint yeah. in med surge. I, I, a I did a little sometimes. bit here and there, um, like I did MHMR, the ICF, so the community. Um, I did a little bit at Parkland, but ultimately I consider myself hospice hands down. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that really helps too, because you're definitely going to be expert level yes. in that industry yes. because that's been your primary focus and that you've dealt with the patients on those services, mm -hmm. the families on those services. And I'm sure you've also had to have a lot of tough talks. It's a tough topic. It is. Especially when you get into the the area of when that patient needs mm -hmm. crisis care. Right. So can you tell us uh, a little bit about the, like what is crisis care? Okay, crisis care is one of the four levels that hospice offers. And just like it says, it's crisis care. So there's a crisis going on, an unmanaged symptom of type. There's numerous ones that that could be requiring frequent nurse intervention. Um, that could be respiratory distress, pain, nausea, vomiting, seizures. Um, so things that require frequent nurse interventions that able to us to titrate the medications a little bit better and just be more hands-on. Um, as with any crisis, you don't want to have it. So we always want to make sure that we are doing our nurse visits, our routine visits, 
and spending lots of time with education and making sure that we don't fall fall into any of those crisis yeah. moments. So just to clarify, just because you're on hospice services, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you're going to, or it's probably not even anticipated that you will be having a crisis frequently. In fact, mm -hmm. sometimes you never reach that level, right? right? Yeah, so, you know, death is, while it's very hard, it is a natural process. And so you shouldn't expect to have nursing there 24 seven. Um, it is an isolated case. You know, we can, we have flags and stages that we can say we're getting closer, but nobody really has an exact time, right? Right. So it's going to be very hard to say, yes, there will be staff in the home at time of death. Um, we do make, increase our frequency. Um, you should be seeing the patients daily and the social worker and chaplain are available to come in and help make sure everything, everybody is handling the situation well. But ultimately, you will not want a crisis and you should not expect to have a crisis if we're doing, you know, everything's going well. They happen, they yeah. do. But the expectation is that we are going to be here to support you to the very end and that the caregivers in place will continue doing the wonderful job that they've been doing. So you said something that struck my interest because it has come up in discussions that mm -hmm. I've had with families many times. I think there is a common misconception. Maybe it's because a long time ago it mm -hmm. was handled a certain way and now it's transitioned. So when you mentioned there shouldn't be an expectation for a nurse, the, the part of the hospice company to be at bedside necessarily mm -hmm. at the absolute end of life. Correct. Crisis care is truly that crisis. And you mentioned that death is a natural part of life. Mm -hmm. So the act of death and dying in those final moments mm -hmm. would not necessarily be considered a crisis. Correct. And I, I think a lot of families that I've spoken to mm -hmm. have had a negative outcome, I, probably more because of communication from particular, you know, right. different hospice companies, yeah. just not like I, I get being in the industry that we understand a whole lot about mm -hmm. our own industries. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget that the average person doesn't know the backstory. Yes. So yes. they have a different expectation. So communication is really important for those families. So when families get on hospice services, they should maybe ask the question, like, what does crisis care mean for this company? What should I expect? Should I need it? That right. way they don't have that negative experience of being in a very high emotional mm -hmm. time frame with their family member and their own right. feelings and yes. emotions, and then to suddenly feel let down because sometimes a company can do a fantastic job uh -huh. and right there at the end, it all kind of falls apart and truly the company did exactly what they were supposed to, mm -hmm. but they just didn't know. And that's kind of where you see, if you really talk to the families that come back with a negative experience, a lot of it has to do with that last little bit mm -hmm. of, but they weren't there. Yeah. And you know, there are hospices that will put an, put somebody out there. You know, I've heard of it. 
um, but it should not be an expectation. Um, Medicare requires us to have certain hours at bedside and they require us to have special documentation and certain training for those people to be at the bedside in a crisis. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really up to us to set those expectations up from the very beginning during our Hospice 101 of to have families set up their support system. We are there 24 seven. If you need us via phone call, reach out, things like that. But physically in the home, it is should not be an expectation, but ladder, but more of a ladder, you know, oh my goodness, we have an emergency. Yeah. And, you know, and an emergency in hospice looks much different than an emergency in a, the, at the hospital, right? So, well, yeah. you know, our, our emergencies look much different and the emotions are high. People are either this is their first time to experience death and this is their family, their loved ones. So they want what they want when they want it. Yeah. And that is completely understandable. But I think that we, as the industry, should really be getting the education out that it's going to be you and your support system going out there and doing it with us as reinforcements. I used to always tell my families, I am like the plant in the corner. You don't have to feed me, water me, or entertain me. I'm here to talk to you and to be there for support. And so, you know, that's kind of what we want to push through to, and educate to the community so that we can all have a, while it's an upsetting experience, the best experience yeah, possible in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that it would be reasonable to expect that a crisis could come at any point on hospice services. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the end of life moment Absolutely. that would constitute a crisis because like you mentioned, a few of the, the qualifiers mm -hmm. for crisis care could be difficulty breathing yes. or uncontrolled pain. Yes, so, you know, any they can happen anytime, mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, somebody, for example, with uh, brain cancer, they may have onset of seizures. Well, that would constitute a crisis so that we could get in, make sure the medications were number one effective and that the seizures weren't continuing to happen. Because if so, you would need to titrate the medication and adjust that, right? And that would be more helpful for a nurse to yes. be present and see what's going on exactly. in order to know yes. how to adjust contact yes. the the medical director, the physician. Absolutely. On Absolutely. Staff. And, you know, during those time periods, it's reevaluated every day. So while you may have that person in there one day for, let's say, eight hours, maybe longer, it depends on the situation. So you may have them there for eight hours. Well, they may stabilize and then not be there the next. So we, even when crisis care comes into the home, it is not expected to be long lasting. It's almost similar if people understand the general inpatient side of it. It's very similar to that where you expect to be in there stabilized and pulled and brought home or whatnot. 
So we really want to make sure that everybody recognizes that if there's a crisis, our goal is to get in there, manage that, and then get them situated and have, pull staff out. Is there a cap on the length of time that crisis care would be in place? So there's not necessarily a length or a cap on it. Ideally, you want to have things managed within 72 hours because otherwise, yeah. what are we doing? You know, Yeah, someone shouldn't are, be in crisis right, for three consecutive right. days. We aren't either being aggressive or we're not finding something or this is their new baseline. Um, so we have to really make sure that we're documenting, communicating well with our our in case managers, our medical directors, and getting everything in place so that we can do what's best for the patient in as soon as um, a small amount of time as possible. What about, um, so a scenario, someone is in a crisis situation, mm -hmm. the family reaches out for crisis care management to come in, the nurse comes and starts providing the medication for whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. to, it will say it's a pain management okay. crisis. Um, they start giving the medication for pain management. Are they going to be there? Obviously they would be there for a few hours to mm -hmm. see if it was effective. Like right. you said, to know if they need to go up or if it was too much. Right. Uh, but after they get them to a stable place with the medication, they could still, as that dose wore off, they could go back into that crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at that point, would it be assumed that the nurse would stay continuously for up to 72 hours? Or would they try to maybe, if it's just the medication, would they try to train another member in the home yes. if they are a resident at home on hospice? Or if they are in a community like mine, would they at that point try to train the staff on mm -hmm. what to do? So I believe, so based on my experience with different companies, everybody kind of handles their crisis care a little bit different. There's some companies that have an entire department of crisis care and they keep somebody in there 24 hours a day and monitor and, and adjust the medications. And then the next day, the RN case manager comes out and reassesses to make sure that everything's appropriate and then says, okay, we're gonna have a discharge plan. Um, others go in and discharge stay. just from crisis yes, care. Yes, discharge not from crisis from care. No, 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 no. Okay. Discharge from crisis care because it's a level of care change. So you're mm -hmm. going to need a doctor's order to go to crisis care, and then a doctor's order to come back to routine care. Oh, that's a good point. Yes. So if a family contacts you mm -hmm. and says, "My mother is in crisis. We need someone here right now." what are the steps? Do you start asking that daughter questions so that you can get an idea if they are qualifying? So the uh, the most efficient way to do it would be to call the doctor and kind of give them a heads up of what's going on. S make sure, say, hey, you know, this is going on. I'm going out to evaluate. We may need crisis care. And you kind of get a verbal then. And then you're when you're out in the assessing you write it up if you already know you've already talked to the mm -hmm. doctor you've kind of cut those extra t minutes out yeah and then that yeah. way if you get out there and, and they it's do not need a it or if it's not a yeah. crisis then yes. it's just canceled yes. you don't have to go forward with yeah the you order. just can update the doctor and say you know i got out there we were able to administer a couple of doses of medication they're restabilized and they're fine so it's in education is huge. Hospice oh, yeah. education is so big. 
because we have a lot of scary drugs. We have a lot of, it's high emotions, stress. You know, a lot of times you have to explain it over and over and over because when you're under a period of stress, you're not hearing and grasping and processing everything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you say a lot of scary drugs yes. and what some people don't understand. Sometimes a resident, when they are a patient, when they go on to hospice services, mm -hmm. they still maintain some of their routine medications that they've Absolutely. taken all their life. Sometimes they're discontinued depending on uh -huh. the, the scenario, but there's always the offering of something referred to as a comfort kit or Correct. comfort pack. And that comes with medications primarily targeted for more end of life uh, to keep pain at bay. And can you share what some of those medications commonly are? Sure. So our comfort kit is basically there. Those That's kind of our crisis kit. Yeah. You know? So if we have a crisis come up, we're not waiting on medicines. So in that, you will see uh, morph liquid morphine. You will see liquid lorazepam which is an Ativan um, for anxiety. Uh, the morphine, I want to touch real quick, we use for pain and shortness of breath. Mm -hmm. So we then also supply an um, anti-nausea medication and a secretion medication. Yeah, because sometimes the morphine can make people a little nauseated. Yes, yes. So it kind of offsets that for Right, them. right. And so different comfort kits look a little bit different. Maybe... For the secretions, they use Levison, some use atropine. Yeah. So it's just a kind of a different, everybody's comfort kit kind of looks a little bit different maybe by the medications that they use, but they yeah. all have the same Same scope thought process yeah. behind them. Yeah. And when you said that, I wanted to touch on the comfort kit simply because I think another common misconception is when people go on hospice, they they just drug you and it kills you. I've heard that several yes. times. It's certainly not the case. Just because you go on to hospice services does not mean you're automatically given morphine and Ativan and, right. and given all of these heavy drugs. Right. Those are truly reserved for moments uh, uh, you know, at the very end so yes. that they're more comfortable and at peace and not having to struggle with the body shutting down right. and, or in crisis moments. Right. So and, people don't have to worry about, they are scary drugs when we right. hear them because right. they're scary for us to yes. take. Yes. We shouldn't be taking them. Right. But exactly. for that situation, it's very comforting and very therapeutic done mm -hmm. in the right way with a nurse and a doctor overseeing those dosages. Right. And that's the key is therapeutic dosing. You know, in hospice, you typically don't make huge jumps in mm -hmm. dosing. We always want to start out small. We always want to be least invasive, right? So yeah. if there's something that we can do to turn and reposition, then that's what we're going to want to do. But those medications are there to help support symptom management. And there's some times that people don't need anything and that's great. You know, it's just like having a baby, right? Your body labors. Yeah. It natural. knows what to do, same at time of death. You know, it's a labor and your body knows what to do. Hence the reason we quit eating, we quit drinking, yeah. we quit urinating, you know, we go to sleep, we go into that coma-like state. All of that is the body's natural way to exit this world. Yeah, um, when I was actively nursing, mm -hmm. I also, uh, did some hospice care myself and I would have families that would call sometimes when their loved ones stopped 
feeling hungry yeah. and they stop taking in fluids, mm -hmm. um, even when you're offering it to them, because obviously sometimes they right. get to where they can't do it themselves yes. and you know we intervene or the family intervenes yes. to assist them eating or drinking, but they get to the point where they don't want it at all and they have called and said, oh no, what do we do? Yeah. You know, they're not eating any longer. And it's that education yep. piece of, just think of it like we need all these calories because we're moving all day long. Right. We're active. You're yeah. exercising. Even if you're not an avid exerciser, you're still walking and, right. and burning calories. So you need that caloric intake. However, at end of life, your body is shutting down. Yes. So it doesn't. So they don't feel they're not starving. They're right. not hungry. And a lot of times having all that extra can cause adverse reactions, right? right. So you are giving your loved one fluids and they're coughing afterwards. They that can't tells us that they're, it's going into their lungs. Yeah. So we don't want to cause more issues there. And if they're not asked, I mean, when you're not hungry, you don't ask for food. Right. So it's kind of the same concept. And again, education is huge, huge, huge. And that's something that we are trying to push in our branch out in the community is education, just exposing people to hospice, what it mm -hmm. should look like, what it can look like, and how we can really just get the information to the folks out there that may have misconceptions. You know, there's like, some misconceptions you had touched on medications. You don't have to stop everything. Right. Now, I will say that there are some medications that we don't, as the hospice community, don't find therapeutic any longer. And so, but you have the right to take them, but they just won't be covered by hospice sure. and things like that. So. Yeah, like at, at that point, how beneficial is it to take that massive vitamin D exactly. supplement yes. every day? Or your is cholesterol. It really, yeah, is it really going to be helpful? <laughs> Sometimes it's more difficult to just get that thing down Yeah, that yeah. feels so big. And you know, your intake isn't as much, so yeah. your throat's drier and so... Yeah, I mean, what really, it's risk versus benefit. Is it helping them or helping you, you know? That's, That's a very key. good point. Mm -hmm. you, you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, a lot of times, and families do it from the best place in their heart. Absolutely. They think that they are being an advocate for their loved one that's in this place in their life, but we're they're thinking about it as if it were someone their age and mm -hmm. their activity level, mm -hmm. it is very different. Yes. It's a very different phase of life. And I love that you guys at Concho Heart Hospice do push the education. I personally feel like death and dying is a topic mm -hmm. that as a culture, we don't touch on very much. We don't like the topic. We, we don't, don't like wanna, the topic. We don't we even talk, talk about, about it. <laughs> we talk about the beginning of life, yes. right? We talk about conception, how that yes. happens. We talk about uh, the pregnancy, yeah. the birth. Yeah. We talk about gr growth yes. and human development. But after we get to adult, mm -hmm. we're like, okay, we're not going to discuss it any further. This is a taboo topic. Yes. We're all going to experience mm -hmm. it. If you're alive right now, yes. it's a guarantee that you'll go through it. You will. And more than likely, you're going to go through it with people that you're close to. Uh -huh. So why would you not want to arm yourself with the information before it happens? Exactly. That way you're not trying to find out when you're at such an emotional place 
in your life because then in a hurry. I mean, cause yeah. you know, you get to where, oh my gosh, I have to make this decision right now because mom or dad or spouse are in the hospital. They're trying to discharge and, I don't and they're know talking about, about hospice. What? You know, so I, that's kind of my big thing. You know, it's a hot topic for me. I've had personal experience, professional experience. And I cannot tell you how many times this month we have been at an event and somebody has said, I don't need you. And it's like, maybe not today. Yeah. But I'm glad you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I am super excited about that. But you know, yesterday, nobody in my family needed it either. Mm -hmm. Today, I have three. So it's one of those things that you always want to have the preparation. And Barbara Carnes is a great person to look up. She's got, she's got great information. Me, obviously, I have um, great information and will share it and have pamphlets I will leave where, you know, no pressure sales here. It's where I'm a nurse, so yeah, that's what I'm pushing yeah, is nursing side. is not a sales no, industry. No. That needs to be completely taken out yes. of the thought process. Yes. I think it is a service mm -hmm. that's available. Yes. You know, not everyone wants it and that's okay, mm -hmm. but why don't you at least get the information to see if it's an option you would like to consider? Right. There's no harm. Nope. You guys come out and talk to people. There's no charge nope. for no it. There's charge. no charge if they go on service, no. first of all. Medicare pays for that. 100%. Yeah, that's a, that's a benefit that's covered. Yes. But there's certainly no, there's no loss in just taking no. a little bit of time. Even if somebody's just taking time to watch this podcast, maybe that will give someone more information than they had yesterday. Right. And a starting point if they need to find out further right. and they can reach out right arm yourself with information um that's my biggest thing is i always try to tell people go and talk to three to five hospice companies they're they're around yeah see who fits with you personality wise see if they have the same idea of care yeah they have the you same know? philosophy yeah i mean i that's that's my biggest thing is you have the right to choose who, wherever you go. Doesn't matter yeah. the hospital, the doctor, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sometimes they'll try to dictate, but you yes. can step in and be like, okay, Absolutely. I'll look at this one. Do you have a couple of others so yeah. I and can- And facilities do Because you're shopping. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, you, it's who aligns with your philosophy, who is going to give you, have that personality with that nurse that you can get along with. Because again, high stress, very upsetting times. We are just in a state of fight or flight. So yeah. we need somebody that we can trust that gives us the support that we're looking for and has that love and compassion and dignity for our loved ones, right? To make sure that this is as smooth of a transition. You know, I always say, I'm going to love my patients to it and my families through it because this that. is a journey and we got to love these patients for as long as we have them and then we're going to love on our families for as long as they need it afterwards yeah i think that's great you have yeah. a great mission i'm so I'm, glad you're in the field and in the industry too. thank because you i think you're definitely a valuable asset to so many that. people if you had any questions about what crisis care was i hope that we answered some of those for you today if you have further questions about hospice or crisis care please 
leave comments in the section and I will be happy to reach out to you. We're also going to put up uh, the contact information for Desiree and Concho Hearts Hospice. That way, if you would like to reach out to them, you can do that as well. Uh, They'd be happy to expand on yes. all of the services that they can offer. Please do continue to educate yourself. While we hope that we never have to face it, the likelihood that we will is very high and it's not always uh, in a senior setting. I know that's the focus of this podcast, but that's not always the case. Please arm yourself with the information. I hope you enjoyed our time today. I look forward to seeing you guys back next time. Please make sure that you hit subscribe on YouTube so you'll see all of the new episodes as they come out and share it with all of your friends and as many people as you can think of. See you next time. Mm -hmm.